This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. That's a fine song. Not Brown Maiden, do you know? It goes... A Rome and not Brown Maiden. A Ream and not Brown Maiden. A Row, 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 Maiden. You're the maid for me. Everybody, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them on the show for the first time. This week, we're going to do our fifth Powell and Pressburger film, but it's also a very special episode, Mike, because it's a request. This is a request from Deborah in Canada, who said such nice things about our show on Twitter, and we are so happy to fulfill her request. This is a good time to remind everybody, you can follow our show on X at 15MINFILM. You can also follow us where, Mike? Letterboxd. We always say this at the end, but we're saying it now. Follow us. Please leave us reviews if you can. Let us know what to watch. So, Deborah, this episode's for you. Mike and I don't know what the other guy's going to say. That's what makes the show fun for us to do. We really hope you like the episode. So, in part one, we always talk about our overall take on the movie. What is it about this movie that struck us when we watched it this time for the show? Mike, you're a big fan of this movie. What do you love about it? I it's it's difficult. To say. I mean, I just like the way people say Kaloran. I, I watch this movie. I think I've seen this movie like six times in two years. So, and, I, you know, we watch movies for the podcast. We watch other movies that we never record. So six times in two years uh, is is a lot. There's there's nothing I don't like about this movie. I think, first of all, that it's it's beautifully written. Um, our previous episode was Spirited Away, which was written on an intuitive structure, kind of more like jazz. Uh, this is the exact opposite. This is the most tightly plotted right at a screenwriting class, beautiful polished script. You could, you could get from beginning to end everything, including the, the funny visuals um, that help elucidate the plot. Like when she's on the train, everything is good. I, 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 you, you can't find, you can't find a movie with better, more useful 
uh, dream or fantasy sequences than you find in this movie, unless you're watching like Vertigo or something. Yeah, this, I mean, this movie's just a masterpiece. I would watch. I would watch Roger Livesey do anything. Is there an? I can't think of another actor I like to hear talk as much as him. Everything about this movie uh, is is beautiful. I I won't take it as an extra moment, but but the dance that they go to. The Kaylee, the Kaylee, the, the Kaylee. It's it's that's like a perfect twelve minute sequence. From if if you had to can something and just send it out in the universe, just in case aliens find, I would send the Kaylee sequence from uh, from I know where I'm going. So it's very difficult for me to say what I like about it because there's nothing that I don't like about it. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. So when I watched it, it reminded me. I think that this movie is a sibling of a movie that we've done before on the show and a movie we both love. And it didn't, it didn't hit me all at once, but I watched it twice for the episode today. And I'm thinking like, what is it? What is remind? So I want to talk about Wendy Hiller. So she played Eliza in Leslie Howard's uh, Pygmalion. I knew her for a long time as the Russian princess in murder on the Orient express. And I put that together. Right. So here, as I'm watching the film, the second time I kept thinking to myself this, okay, if this were made in America, if they did a remake of this in America, which I can't believe they haven't, right? Because it's already written, right? You'd have to change some of the, the geography. I'm like, so instead of, you know, going from London to Kaloran, she goes from like Manhattan to the Ozarks or, or someplace like that. I'm like, who would play her? And then it hit me. It hit me like a flash. Who would play that part? The answer is Barbara Stanwyck. Can't you see Barbara Stanwyck in, yeah. in a, like a, replaying that part, right? And then that made me think, I'm thinking about Barbara Stanwyck. So I'm driving around the rest of the day and thinking about things and movies pop in your head. And then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. That reminds me so much of a Barbara Stanwyck movie that we both love and have done for the show. And that's The Lady Eve. And then the more I pushed it and the more I did what you call doing the Dan, I'm like, wait a minute. You put this, this and The Lady Eve are like at least siblings or they're at least cousins, right? Because, you know, in The Lady Eve, you have a con woman who looks to a wealthy man to get his money, but that she falls in love with the mark, you know, Henry Fonda, right? Here, of course, Wendy Hill is conning herself. Like she's gonna, she's gonna marry this corporation. I love how she's gonna marry the corporation um, for her own social advancement. She wants the silk stockings, the real ones, when she's little. And, you know, just as Barbara Stambuck is ready to hurt Henry Fonda to get the money from, you know, the ale that won for Yale, she's kind of doing the same thing. And in both cases, we're watching what we know must happen. Like we know that already. We know it way before the characters do is that each woman thinks she knows where she's going, but we know where she's really going to go. And the movie's about them finding that out, find, catching up to us and they're being happier for it. And uh, remember her itinerary gets thrown in the water and then she has no schedule anymore. Well, that's kind of what happens with Barbara Stanwyck when she's literally out to sea, you know, with Henry Fonda. We'll go back to part two of I Know Where I'm Going. In part two, we always talk about our favorite moments or moments that grabbed us this time. It might not be the same moment you pick next time, but Mike, when you got ready for the show today, what moment popped in your head? When they're uh, on the bus with all the Islanders and they're talking about what a fool the guy is who owns a house and he's digging out a swimming pool. And what what they're really teasing him for is not, not only... You could write the scene one way such that they're so broke that they don't understand luxury, but they're making fun of him because he doesn't he doesn't understand how to how to enjoy the island. He literally bought it 
or at least he's rented right you can't Renting buy it. you can't buy happiness but you can rent it right so he's rented happiness and he 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 doesn't know where the instruction manual is he he can't find it uh and that's what that's really what they're laughing about and of course she's getting all defensive and he's caught in the middle and he doesn't know what to do uh but i i just think that that's a that's a brilliant sequence and this this movie has such interesting ways of getting information out into the open. Um, if you remember from the beginning when they actually do the flashbacks of her as a little girl, right? In screenwriting class, they'd go, no, just find a way for her to work it into conversation. And this movie goes, no, nah, I could do it in 45 seconds. I'll just, I just won't take that much time. And every and everything is perfect. And this is just, this is just a beautiful way of drawing on the fact that she doesn't know where she's going. Right. Uh, that's, that's, it's a, the scene is emblematic of the film as a whole and the the way that she's sitting next to him and they're getting closer together, but she's also angry at him and, uh, and everything they say is funny and also barely intelligible. And I, I think, I think there is something about the accent and the way that they say Kalor and that, that tickles me. I, I guess, I don't know. That scene is great because I love when they're making fun of him and they, um, why couldn't he catch the fish? The fish don't know him. They, you know, and that everything, and I love how you never see him. That's a great, that's a great screenwriting thing is that you never meet him where you don't have to compare him to him because he's just a voice. And you, and that's why there's a great moment where she says, do you have a cold when they're talking on the phone? Cause she can't even recognize his voice anymore. Doesn't know his voice. Yeah. And her father says, well, you can't, well, you can't marry British chemical. <laughs> so my moment has to do with that same vibe on the bus. And it has to do, I got a little wind up here to get to it, which is what, which of my favorite writers did I think about watching this movie? Samuel Johnson. And why did I think about Samuel Johnson off and on while I was watching this? Uh, because he hates the Scotch. Right. Because he was always making fun of the Scots, right? Because Boswell, of course, was Scottish and Johnson loved to tease him about that. And there's all those famous lines like, you know, um, where he says to Boswell, you know, what enemy would invade Scotland where there's nothing to be got? <laughs> he says like, uh, you know, knowledge and knowledge among the Scots. He says it's like bread in a besieged town. Every man gets a mouthful, but no one gets a full meal. Right. Boswell was- tells Johnson, you can't hold it against me because I can't help it. Yeah. And he says, that's what I find many, many of your countrymen cannot help. And so he he loves all these things. But there's one point where Boswell says, um, you know, this was a noble prospect. And Johnson says, the most noble prospect a Scotsman sees is the high road to London. So and he's constantly teasing him about that. It was all done in love. Now, this movie, of course, plays upon the obvious contrast between London and Kaloran, right? Between these two worlds. And there's a million examples, like you said, like, why would you dig a swimming pool when you can go into the river? Like, you, he can't fish because the fish don't know him. Um, they asked the one guy, Rory, when's the storm going to be over? And he says, the storm will be over when the wind stops blowing. So they have this whole kind of vibe in Scotland, which is really great. And the movie is all about how she learns to like kind of accept that, right? She's like, and that's, we've seen that in a bunch of other movies too. So my moment is when they go to the Cayley, you know, can you dance the Scottish? And they go to the Cayley and there's this moment that just hit me uh, that that was so good in that thing. And it's not the dancing. Do you remember why the Cayley is happening? Uh, for the wedding anniversary. For the wedding anniversary. And these people have been married for 60 years. So they get this old guy and they get his wife and they start going, speech, speech, speech. And he says, um, and the movie gets quiet and you get quiet. He goes, um, no, 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 no. And he doesn't say anything. And I think that is so great because 
he's the opposite of her fiance. He's not showing off. He's, he's not, he, he doesn't have to say anything. He's done it. He's been married for 60 years. He's not going to make some phony speech like that. And what's cool about the movie is that Scotland is more authentic than London is right. Kaloran's more authentic than London. That's why, you know, um, Roger Livesey, you know, he only tells her incidentally that he's the Lord of Kaloran, right? It only kind of comes up. You're not supposed to brag about things. Her fiance, of course, you know, is only renting the place. He can't be of it. And I think, I think that you get introduced into the values and the assumptions of the people in Kaloran. And of course, like you're charmed by them, right? So when she says, oh, they're so poor. And he says, um, they're not poor. They just haven't got any money. And like, you kind of like, you kind of adopt that. And of course, you meet that, how about that um that drip woman who's asking her, like, do you play bridge? Do you play bridge? And you have to stay in stay in the castle with that snotty girl. But then you see the 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 Kaylee and you know, like, well, which one would you rather be at? Right. So it's kind of cool that the movie, you're like her, you kind of get sucked into this alternate universe where things are more, I would say they're better, but like they're more authentic. Does that make sense? I think that the best thing about it is how that's represented with time on screen, because there, there are breaks, like like you said, when they go uh, meet the couple with the with the little girl and sit down at the table right. with her. That uh, that's maybe three minutes of the movie, but it feels like much longer yeah. because what they've done is they've they've gotten you into the rhythm of the movie and then they break it so you can feel it, right. which is like swimming and then you have to get out of the pool to go get something right. And the only thing that makes sense is to get back in the pool. That's where you feel good, and that's that's the rhythm of the movie when they drop you back into the Kaylee and let it carry you through to the end. That's a great point because that that you see that castle that they live in and it looks kind of cool. Like if you're in America, you're like, oh, it'd be cool to live there. But then you realize that the big that big table is like the breakfast table in Citizen Kane, and like nobody's having any fun there. And you're like, can I go back to the Kaylee where the where the floor creaks and you stand on the ladder and everyone's having a good time? Welcome back. In part three, we talk about the ending or the title. So Mike, take us wherever you want to go. Right. So I'll I'll put this out there. So we were talking about the battle of values between uh london london and scotland right you can't marry british british chemical and so of course the ending is set up by a terrible thing that wendy hiller's character does which is she can't wait for the storm because she knows that she's going to fall in love yeah. uh with caloran and so she bribes the kid to take them over which is more money than he's ever seen in his life and will allow him to you know go forward with his teenage marriage that he wants to do so he can be married for 60 years. And so she tempts him with money. They're not right. They're not poor. They just haven't gotten any money. And he doesn't really even know that he's poor until she extends out what to her is, is pocket money or a light inconvenience. But to him is, is the greatest fortune on the Island. So he's, he's got to try. And the movie's been building you up to it. Like that's wrong in itself, but the movie's been building you up to it until you, you can, if you don't feel the moral violation of that, then you're not watching the movie correctly and and the scene with them on the boat where they have to bail out the engine is is the most harrowing there's no there's there's not even really a hint of sexuality in this movie whatsoever but the the working side by side you know and and bailing out that bailing out the boat is the closest that you're going to get yeah. And it's also the best depiction in movies of seasickness, because as somebody who who loves to go on their friend, or I used to like, yeah, we'll go out fishing. And then after 20 minutes, I'm like, get me off of this boat because I'm going to throw up like that. That is such good seasickness inducing cinema. And this is such a beautiful Chekhov's gun because, you know, you, you have the storm and it's the reason they're there. 
you, you know, you, you know, they're going to have to go out into it. And so you've, you've written a check and it can't bounce, you know, yeah. that, so it's very brave as a screenwriter to, to write that scene. And then even better as those actors really, they, they pull it off beautifully. I love how the movie shows, it starts with her as a little girl, but she remains a little girl because she remains very immature and very much like a spoiled kid for much of the movie because all of that time that leads up to the when she bribes the guy to get off the island you know she's like a kid when it's like when it's like there's a blizzard and it's you can't drive when you're a kid you don't understand driving right and you're like oh i thought we we're gonna go to the movies for example and your parents go no we can't go you're like come on come on oh the snow's gonna stop and your parents are being like mature adults and like we are not going out now there's too much snow you know and you're like oh because you're a kid you don't care right and she you just you just want your own way when you're a kid and she just wants her own way there when you're a kid the selfish reason is because i want to go see star wars but her selfish reason of course is like i'm afraid i'm gonna fall in love with this guy and i gotta stick to my plan because i know where i'm going and then of course she kind of like grows up as the movie goes on all the elements of the movie are working in that scene Right. Love, love is a force of nature. It's something that you can't yeah. plan on. It's something that you can't stop. Right. The, the fact that she should be able to buy anything and everything she wants. But there's one thing that you can't buy, which is that if you're in a remote island in Scotland and there is a storm at like there's no amount of money that you can pay somebody to be safe. Right. It's, it's a reminder. It's like it's a humbling of the world of London as as a reminder that you can't just buy whatever you want. This, this thing cannot be bought it doesn't matter the the sum of money and and of course the the island the island is full of that knowledge in some way the storms that hit the island and surround the island are what shape its culture it shapes the stories that they tell it shapes the way that they sing songs it shapes the way that the, the kid's father knows exactly when the storm is going to stop you know it's, it's clearing up but we can't go yet and so the fundamental misunderstanding is nowhere better presented than trying to bribe somebody to take you out. You might as well try to bribe the clouds. And it's also that there's also this element, I think, where she almost like evokes the storm like supernatural because she's supernaturally because she doesn't want to leave. She wants to stay with him. We get that's the tension of the movie. Right. But yet, like, you know, she's kind of like you talk about left brain, right brain or, or like, you know, the, the, the Spock and the Kirk. She wants to stick to her itinerary. But she knows that if I stay here, I'm going to fall in love with this guy. So it's almost like she's, she's, you know, part of her wants to get off the island, but part of her wants to stay on the island. And both of those parts, I think, are at war in conjuring the storm. She, you could say she almost conjures the storm and tries to get through it. Now, we've talked about almost everything I like about this movie, except one thing. Why do I like this movie so much, Dan? Why do you like this movie so much? Because you like the you like that it's like a Fabergé egg. It's like a perfect clock in every single. It is, but no. What's its runtime? Oh, it's it's in and out in 90 minutes. It's 88 minutes. 88 minutes. And let's just clarify again. Let's clarify, lest any new listeners think, well, this guy, Mike, is a rube. He can't. Mike loves long movies. You can check out our episode on uh, Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia, which Mike has seen thousands of times, right? The point is not that Mike is anti-long movie. Explain your 90-minute in and out rule. You're going to explain it much better. The joke about the 90 minutes is that not that Mike has no attention span. It's that Mike values, and we all do, we value economy. It's not that we don't like long movies. We've done Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. One of Mike's favorite movies is Lawrence of Arabia. We've done that really early in the podcast. So we're kind of kidding around here. You know, my joke rule is, of course, no movie should be longer than The Godfather, except for? 
The Godfather Part Two. Very good, right? So the point is that, like, what's amazing about this movie is that every single shot tells. It's done with such economy. And this movie was not based upon a novel, but it feels novelistic because you really get this whole sense of of the world building. It's and it's brilliant. It feels like there should be source material, uh, but there's but there's not. Apparently, Pressburger wrote the screenplay in four days. Yeah, four days. So it just came out of his head like Diana from the Head of Zeus. You, you know who was originally supposed to play the the leads? Well, not Barbara Stanwyck. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. But who? Deborah Kerr and James Mason. That's right, because Deborah Kerr couldn't. She she they already had her. You know, she ended up being in, a, of course, um, a matter of life and death. Uh, James Mason uh, pulled out six weeks before filming, uh, apparently because he he's too British to go to Scotland. We'll leave it on that note. Like Samuel Johnson, who actually did go to Scotland though and wrote a great book about it with Boswell. So, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about I know where I'm going. We take requests, as we saw in this episode. Let us know what to watch. You could follow us on X at One Five M I N Film. You could also follow us where Letterbox. Letterbox. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.